I'm Julie Moran, and I am so thrilled to bring you my podcast, Limitless, Boldly Tackle Your Next Chapter. Today on my Limitless podcast, I'm speaking with Gina Ryan, host of the Anxiety Coaches podcast, one of the most popular podcasts talking about anxiety. After struggling with general anxiety, panic, and agoraphobia for 20 years, she tapped into her professional knowledge of nutrition and wellness and a personal understanding of prayer and meditation to finally live a stress-free life. Today we talk about morning and evening stresses, the effect caffeine has on you, the wonderful benefits of journaling, and useful tactics on how to stop overthinking. Aloha. I know you're coming from Hawaii, and thank you so yeah. much for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You know, back in the early 90s, you opened a natural health store in New York. Now you live in Hawaii and have one of the most successful anxiety podcasts out there. Can you talk a little bit about your journey? How did, how did you get here? Yeah, it's kind of an interesting journey, especially when you're talking about midlife and those kind of things, because I, yes, I had health food stores in New York. I had two of them, one in Skinny Atlas, New York, in the Finger Lakes, and one in Seneca Falls, New York, where the Women's uh, National Hall of Fame is. And I went through a big change in my late 40s. My uh, children were one in college and one, um, you know, uh, last year in high school. And my husband and I were uh, separating and uh, eventually divorcing. And the stores ended up being in my um, ball, in my corner. So my, they were my ballpark. So I, I, I actually decided, I saw the writing on the walls with health food stores and all of the major chains moving closer and closer to actually close them. A 10-year lease was looming over me for the one location, and I decided I was not going to tie in for 10 more years. So, Julie, I packed my bags, and I said I was taking a sabbatical, and uh, I went to Hawaii. I said <laughs> Good I was going to go for three or four months. I ended up staying five months, I think, and then... I came back to New York and I put my house on the market and I just felt like so many things in my life were changing. Why shouldn't my location change too? So my kids were stable and my mom and dad were stable and still together and taking care of each other. And I said, it felt like a window of opportunity. So I did move to Hawaii in 2004. And yeah. aren't you glad you did? Yeah. Right now with all of this that's going on, this is actually a, a really good place to be. I want to go back a little bit in your journey. And you've said that you didn't start feeling anxiety until your 20s. What happened? Yeah. What what triggered that? Yeah. You know, because a lot of people, a lot of my clients will talk about, oh, I've always been anxious. I was probably, I will say, personality doesn't change in life. I came in as a sensitive soul. I leaned toward uh, taking care of business and being concerned about things. So I probably was more of a worry wart as a kid, but I didn't have anxiety. There's a big difference. When I was in my 20s, I remember two things that really set me off to panic. And then um, then the, like, the ball was rolling. One was that in my 20s, um, I had smoked marijuana, uh, which is not uncommon, uh, but I had a panic attack. 
And all these years now that I've been dealing with people with their anxiety, this is one of the major triggers is weed of all things. And so because many people are self-medicating with weed, but it may be actually exacerbating their anxiety. And the other thing was I went to visit my grandfather when he was in the hospital in New York City in Manhattan. My family's from Manhattan. And I had to lock up his apartment. My dad had already gone back to Syracuse and I was locking the apartment and going to go visit him one more time. Um, and the someone breaking into the house alarm went off and it was so loud and frightening. And here I am in a big city unknown. It's not very familiar to me. And that alarm going off, it scared me to death. And from there I had to walk. I finally figured out how to fix everything. The interesting piece is no one ever came <laughs> to my assistance, uh, uh, which is enough to scare you. I go out into, I open the, the doors after I get out of the um, apartment building, and it's all this busy traffic, and I have to get a taxi, and I have luggage. You know, it was one of those things where it brought back all of that panic feeling that I had had when I had set it off with weed. And so... There I was off and running, and then from there, I'm visiting a sick relative and then getting on a plane. It was a bad setup, right? A lot of high stress, and my body got kind of stuck there, Mm. Julie. I got kind of stuck in that high-triggered, easily-triggered amygdala, and so I spent the next 20 years getting out of that. Wow. So it sounds like you had an actual anxiety attack, and then it stuck with you. You couldn't get out of it. Yes, and that actually happens more often than people really talk about. Although we don't, I remember those because they were so big, but people have also small amounts of of these kind of things that build up when we don't actually uh, recharge again, go back into our parasympathetic nervous system. We kind of get stuck um, like I did uh, in that fight or flight kind of mode. Now, I didn't live my whole life there. I just was easily triggered. And that happens because now uh, science and research is showing us that the amygdala, this lizard ancient brain part of us, actually does grow larger, or I've always used the term that it becomes more sensitive, but they show that it actually grows larger, so then it would be more sensitive, and we don't want that. We need our uh, amygdala, and we need to have fight or flight, but we don't need to live there, and that is where uh, so many people with stress and anxiety are living, especially nowadays. Uh, We we have a, a, a kind of world where it's very hard to rest, (laughs) to be able to be calm and to be able to recharge. What are some of the most common symptoms of anxiety? There are the physical symptoms, which are, you know, the sweaty palms, the uh, rapid beating heart. Many people get kind of shaky. Any kind of physical symptom that you can think of, uh, everything from muscle twitching, people get actual pain. Gut is a very common place where uh, symptoms occur, early symptoms, because one of the first things that shuts down when we are releasing stress hormones 
is our gut because we don't need to digest our lunch if we are running from a tiger for our life. <laughs> so it's more important to just run. So the, the, the blood flow and everything stops, the energy stops taking care of digestion and gives us the resources to um, get to safety. So any kind of digestive pain, like I said, muscle twitching, sweating, sweating palms, sweating body. People have uh, a, a lot of different physical symptoms, but also there are mental and emotional symptoms such as rumination, thoughts that just keep rolling around the head, intrusive thoughts, having scary thoughts that you wonder, where are these coming from? Why am I thinking this? Negative thinking can be a sign of anxiety. So we have to, um, having uh, emotional difficulties such as anger, sadness, depression, these things can be signals of anxiety. I see. And you talked about an anxiety attack you had. Are anxiety attacks and panic attacks, are they different? Yeah, I guess it's just um, different use of terminology. I, I think an anxiety attack would be a, a, a lesser form of a panic attack. A panic attack People end up really looking for help when they are in those. Many people end up going to the emergency room. They are a total loss of control feeling. You feel like you have no control whatsoever. And I would say an anxiety attack, I'm calling that a heightened, like there was, there's stress, then there's high stress, then there's anxiety. And high anxiety, I would be considering an anxiety attack. But a panic attack is that feeling of totally loss of control, and you think you are dying. Wow. You feel like something horrible is happening to you, and you can't really put your finger on it. So they are different. And do men and women experience anxiety differently? In my opinion, the people that I've seen in my uh, practice is that no, they they have it the same. Now, whether they express it to their family, friends, coworkers, or whatever, but what they confide in to me, they sound very similar. The uh, similar types of feelings and the similar types of physical symptoms. Interesting. You know, a lot of people have said to me they wake up feeling anxious. How do you combat yeah. that? How do you, how do you, how do they deal with that? That's not uncommon either. Either you can wake up in the middle of the night with that, or you can wake up in the morning feeling like that. Now, when it's morning anxiety, I contribute that to the natural rise in our cortisol levels when, which is normal in all of us. Our cortisol is highest in the morning. It's waking our body up. It's waking our digestion up. And that we become overly, when we're anxious, we're overly sensitive to all of our body systems and all of the feelings that are happening in our body. So to feel that cortisol, we actually get scared of it. Mm. And we think that it's a panic attack. We think, oh, no. And I had this for a long time, that bodily sensation in the morning, and I would think, oh, no, here we go again. Well, just that simple statement is enough to keep that fire burning. I was then in the cycle. Then I'm worried about it, and that sends out more stress hormones, and the whole day is just uh, one big battle. 
But if we can learn to understand that this is just a feeling that we are experiencing in our body because of hormones that have been released inside of us. And you and we say, can ride those out, ride those out. And I also, I, I love your podcast. And I heard you talk about cutting down on caffeine, that that can contribute to that morning anxiety. Yeah, we have to, because what happens when we have caffeine is a lot of things get off kilter, right? We don't go to bed when we're really tired. The half-life of caffeine is quite long and sensitive people will be feeling that well into the evening and the night. So um, not everybody is as sensitive as that. So that's why some people would not have that bother them. Some people can drink coffee and sleep through the whole night. But a sensitive person will not be able to do that. And maybe you don't, maybe you can fall asleep, but maybe you don't get good sleep. Maybe you wake up in the middle of the night with a feeling of doom, a feeling of anxiety. I would definitely cut out the caffeine. It's Um, a terrible trigger for anxiety and high stress. It's like sipping on stress hormones. Why would we do that if we already are are struggling with that inside? You know, for me, I actually get more anxious as the day progresses and my stress is super high at night when I'm thinking about all the things I have to do tomorrow. Now that's different than morning anxiety, right? Right. Yours is a culmination of the stress you're accumulating during the day. So, Julie, for somebody like that, the suggestion would be to take breaks, self-care breaks, where you are actually discharging some of that stress and reminding your mind and body how to get back into the parasympathetic side of your nervous system. That's the rest and digest side. And we don't do that. Actually, once many people hit the feet hit the floor in the morning, and they just go all day. And we are accumulating a lot of stress. We need to remind the body. We don't need to just be in the sympathetic side of the nervous system. We need to be able to flip over to rest and digest at regular intervals. That's a great idea. And I've also heard you promote planners or journaling. Why is that important? Well, one of the things that happens with anxiety is our mind takes over for us. Like we we tend to start believing every thought that goes through our head. And one of the beauty beautiful things is that when we can write it down, we can actually see it with different eyes. It makes a little bit uh, more sense or less sense. And we can put that in the column of that's just a thought or do I really need to be concerned about this right now. Can I put it on the back burner? But when we leave it to our, keeping it up in our head, in our mind, the mind keeps morphing and changing and it's very tricky. It's like a trickster. So it's very important to put things on paper where you can see them and actually deal with them. I have that little journal, that little notepad right by my bed. It so helps me to write it down and then I know you know, I'm, number one, I'm not going to forget it. And it gets it off my mind and gets it on the paper. And I just wanted to bring that up because that's yeah. been so, so helpful to me. Yes. Instead of thinking we have to keep everything stored up there and worry that we're, are we going to be able to recall it if it's an important piece of information? Yeah. I want to dig a little deeper into overthinking because I have a friend 
Her daughter is 21 and she just overthinks everything, rolls it around 15 different ways, and it puts her in a stalemate. How do we avoid that anxious overthinking? Well, like I said earlier, one of the things is, is that we do come in with a personality with a, and there are parts of us that won't change. And um, she may be somebody who's overly conscientious. And so she feels she needs to be sure she's doing everything right. Now, that's the kind of person who might tend toward uh, anxiety. But you don't need to let that conscientious part of you turn into anxiety. That's when we have to learn how to deal with the thoughts. Um, And again, like you had mentioned, the journal is an excellent place to put those kinds of thoughts down. What needs to be dealt with right now? And what can I put on the back burner and deal with later? Because in life, many of those things we put to the side never need to be taken care of. And overthinking, like um, a planning or overdoing anything like that, we have to actually stop ourselves and bring ourselves back into that parasympathetic nervous system again through either meditation or um, exercise or journal writing listening to peaceful music and let the mind and actual physical body relax and then pick those things up again. What happens is we get into our sympathetic side of our nervous system and we're fired up and we think we have to solve everything right now. (laughs) And we don't. What we want to do is break things down into what needs to be taken care of now and what can be put on the back burner. Great advice. You know, you've consulted as the nutritionist for Hawaii's only residential eating disorder center, and you were the nutritionist for an intensive outpatient center for eight years. So I really want to ask you, what is the connection between what we eat and the stress we feel? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, and it's a good one to clear up the idea that there is no one food. Uh, that will fix our mood. Um, our, but what we eat is very important into how our uh, mental states are. And what you need to get to is a, like a whole food, kind of um, more plants, like a plant-based, nutrient-dense, I guess would be the way to say it, versus calorie-dense diet. Uh, because the processed foods are very calorie-dense, And what they do is, as human beings, we seek out the highest calorie density for survival. It's like that's just ancient parts of us that we can't really change, Hmm. but we can be aware of it and we get to make another choice. Well, but I know for my well-being, I need to eat more dark leafy greens and fruits and vegetables and so forth and so on. So we have to be consciously aware of what we're eating and it needs to be that whole food plant-based because the gut needs those fibers and that bulk in order to keep our gut microbiome happy, which is where a lot of our things that are needed for our brain and the whole rest of our body are needed. So we don't only just digest food and get things out of the food. The food also feeds Um, our our gut microbiome and all our little critters in there. And they make things also. They make serotonin. 
And part of that serotonin is what is needed in our brain. Some is made in our brain also. But it is very important that we keep that gut microbiome balanced. And we do that by the foods that we eat. And the other piece that is so important is the digestion. We don't digest very well. As I was saying earlier, if you are running from a tiger, your digestion shuts down. If we are in stress and we are sending out stress hormones throughout the day, we are not digesting very Mm. well at all. And so we need to be able to relax. We need to be able to be in that parasympathetic rest and digest side of our nervous system. And you had an episode on, I think you're talking about this, an episode about turning stress eating into intuitive eating. And is that what you're talking about now, intuitive eating? Yes. Well, that would be included in intuitive eating. Yes, to be able to um, slow down and be with the food. To, intu- to be aware of what you're eating and to have the intuition of your how your body is feeling and knowing when to stop eating or do I need more? What does my body want more of? It actually will tell you, but we have to be able to be going slow enough and be relaxed enough to be able to feel those messages. And you've talked about below the neck hunger and above the head hunger. What are the differences between those two? Below the neck hunger and then head hunger. And so um, head hunger is anything that we're thinking about. We walk by a pizza parlor and we smell the pizza and then we think, well, we want pizza. Uh, Or we see a commercial on television for something and we think we want that. That is all from our head. We are thinking about those things. But, you know, below the neck, our real body will tell us when we're hungry. You can feel hunger signals. You can actually feel when you need to eat more vegetables or greens. Your body will crave them. And like if somebody were to offer them to you and you had a taste of them, you would say, my God, that tastes delicious. Like your body would be wanting it. So we, but we have to be going slow enough to be able to, to recognize that, not just be following uh, the senses or what we're, you know, what we're seeing, hearing, smelling in our environment uh, and with advertising and the processed foods that are so readily available, it's very hard to not fall into the trap of of uh, having too much of those. I agree. Why do you think your podcast is so popular? I think it's because it just talks about a very popular issue. Obviously, many people are struggling with anxiety. Everybody in the world knows what it is now. But because I talk about it in kind of a calm and just informative, but but relaxing kind of manner. I'm not looking at it as a scary thing. I think it's because I also sprinkle in the the elements of hope and that if I could do it, you could do it too. I think that's so true. And, and, you know, we're almost out of time, but I want to ask you two more questions. And the first being, how do people make their anxiety worse and how can they stop it? Okay, so making it worse would be like we were talking about earlier, uh, taking in foods that foods uh, that cause you to feel anxious. So that would be caffeine, that would be alcohol, 
even though many people self-medicate their anxiety with alcohol, um, it's a problem. It actually is uh, second to weed. It's the it's the one that will trigger a panic attack. Mm. Um, and so it's a sticky one. Makes you feel good in the moment, but it sets you up for panic. And also things like I would stay away from chocolate. I would stay away from sugars. And then the other things that you can do to, to not go into uh, high anxiety would be to Learn what your tolerance for stress is. We're all different. Our personalities are different, and we can handle different amounts of stress. This goes for men and women. I've had such high-powered executive men as clients that you would never dream that these men had anxiety because they don't talk about it. They don't share it. But they are living lives that are just building stressful moment upon stressful moment with no place to discharge this. So we want to steer clear of constant stress. And sometimes life throws us things that we can't get away from. We may have a, a child that needs long-term care. We may have parents that need that. Um, there's many things in life that are stressful, but there are so many things that are in our control, and those are the things we need to take care of. Very good. I'll ask this last question. And it's for those people who are feeling overwhelmed with life right now. They know they have high anxiety. They know they're overthinkers. They want to do something about it, but they don't know where to start. Where do they begin? Begin with the thing that is with you all the time, your breath. It is best to just, even right now, just listening to this, to just let your normal inhale come in, and then as you exhale, let it be longer and slower, and just feel that. If you can do that three or four times, many times throughout the day, you will actually be training your nervous system to remember that it can be, we all get ramped up, and then we can always relax again, and the breath is one of the keys ways to get there. Well, Gina, thank you so much for coming on the show. I feel so much more relaxed and less anxious after oh. talking with you. <laughs> I know I need to take Joy, breaks. Thank you for having And I know me. I need to breathe. <laughs> and yes. um, I recommend yes. anyone who wants to be less anxious in life, which is pretty much everyone, they should subscribe to your show, The Anxiety Coaches Podcast, or go to your website, theanxietycoachespodcast.com. Thank you again so much. It's been such a pleasure having you, you on the show. Thank you, Julie. Aloha. Aloha. Thanks so much for joining me on Limitless Boldly Tackle Your Next Chapter. Subscribe to the podcast to be the first to know when new episodes drop. You can also keep up with me on Instagram at It's Me, Julie Moran. Stay bold, everybody.